my gosh. Shall we shall we start over? The poor YouTube and Instagram and unlive people. We're not live. Oh, I'm so sorry. My sincere apologies. Um I was gonna say that once once I get started, I um sometimes just lose track of the time. Mm-hmm. And so yesterday, you know, we were yakety yakking and having a very in-depth and engaging conversation with Mr. Damien Wilson from TCI. And it's just so amazing the parallels between us and TCI, although they're half the size of us. Everything from wayward politicians to, I mean, it's just, it was shocking. So we were having an excellent conversation. And then I um, continued talking, not realizing the time. And of course, we went well into overtime. And, you know, the conversation just got more and more interesting. So let me just say to our radio listeners that obviously you wouldn't have heard that part of the conversation. I encourage you to please go and um, have a listen on... uh, have a listen on social media. You can go and watch it on YouTube or on uh, on Facebook. Super, super interesting. And when I tell you, believe you me, that we can learn from each other, that really is the approach that we have got to take. Yeah? So... Mm-hmm. Um... Okay. Uh, Mm -hmm. All right. A little bit of multitasking. Uh, So our group in Florida, our Caymanians in Florida, thank you, Kevin, for setting up this WhatsApp group. Really, really appreciative of this. Um, Over 107 Caymanians or 107 Caymanians are in this group. And they are all checking in on each other because, you know, we do have interests in Florida, family, students, and so on. So a lot of the students were bunkered together. Um, You know, they're in different locations, different regions. So this WhatsApp group was a blessing, a great idea. And it has allowed us to um, at least know that they're okay. I saw the premier actually join the group as well. And, you know, they were able to check in with us, tell us... um, us that you know they were okay and what they were experiencing some people obviously have lost power i haven't had an opportunity yet to look at the news this morning but as of yesterday over 600,000 people in florida had lost power which is obviously a significant amount they're expecting it to potentially go up to a million people without power and it's going to take them a while to have power restoration uh, one of our writers is located in um in florida and she lost power as well now she didn't she's not she wasn't close to the center, but she is in the, um, what is her area called again? She is in the Davenport area of Florida, which is kind of closer to Lakeland. And so, um, you know, I think that she, um, I don't know who's calling me, but I can't answer the phone right now. So she, um, you know, has no power this morning. So just keeping an eye out on a lot of uh, a lot of people who 
are going to find themselves in that situation. Um, I haven't heard anything in terms of deaths or anything as yet. Hopefully there weren't any. Uh, the storm surge though, oh my gosh, we were watching it live. We had a couple live feeds going yesterday and the storm surge was immense. I think upwards of 15 feet or more, like cars were just about completely submerged when I saw the last reports from the weather channel. And, you know, some of these weather guys, man, they take some, some serious chances um, with their own health and wellness um, when they just really need to be careful. And some of them were literally about to get blown away. Mm. Yeah, some of them were literally about to um, to get blown away. And I saw at one point one guy was like, uh, like one of the female meteorologists is like, oh, you know, come in a little bit, come in, come in. And so he kind of went behind a wall for some cover. And trust me, it's a good thing because not long after he did that, um, what ended up happening is street signs started flying by that would have probably just knocked him out. I mean, you know, the street signs are made of some sort of metal. I don't know how thick it is or whatever. But they were flying by like a piece of paper. They were bend bending and flying by like it was just a piece of paper. It was just unbelievable. So now it is a tropical storm and it continues to um, travel across Florida. I think that it might be heading for the tri-state area or New York. And of course, even though it's only a tropical storm, in that particular region, it can cause a lot of flooding and it can be devastating to them in terms of, um, you know, the rain and the flooding of New York and stuff as well. So it will continue to wreak havoc on a lot of places. Um, at one point, they issued the alert that 911 was no longer able to go out and assist anyone. They were like, okay, at this point, if you call 911, no one can come to you. No one can help you. And uh, it was really, really um, unfortunate to hear that. And of course, we expect that during a category four storm, right? And so um, they just weren't able to, you know, those people, there's nothing that they can do in the middle of a hurricane. Even if your life is at risk, they cannot help you. So they just wanted it to be very, very clear to people that if you call 911, even if they can answer the phone, there will be no help coming in the immediate future. The Naples Fire uh, Rescue Department was completely underwater. Did you guys see this? I mean, the fire station and the they were trying to take out equipment. Let me just show you guys some of the footage of this because I don't know if you actually saw it or not, but it was absolutely shocking. So here we go. This is some of the video footage from that. Stir. It's a new way to watch TV. Ah, these For commercials free. are so nice. It's live local news, live sports, movies, TV shows, cult mm. favorites, viral videos. They, they force you to listen to these pre-commercials, but hold on a second. Three seconds, two seconds. I've now with Naples Fire Rescue. Chiti Maria behind me. We are going out. We have a water rescue in place. I'm going to take you there with me. As long as I can swim there, this water is cold. Look at the water. They're trying to go out and do rescues, and they're in, like, waist-deep water. Actually, it might even be a little bit above waist-deep. Wait, I'm going to turn you guys around now, and we're going to watch this rescue. 
Okay, they need to rescue themselves. Oh my God, who are they trying to rescue? It looks like they need to be rescued. That is what it looks like in the Naples Fire Service Department yesterday. Look at that. And someone is like, what are those people doing outside? What the heck? There's about, what were people doing outside in this? So they're going out in, in waist deep water trying to rescue people. Some people just didn't listen. Look at this, oh my gosh. Wow. I don't know what they were doing outside, but anyway, um, that's pretty crazy. Mm -mm -mm. But the fire department itself was, was underwater. I mean, those, those fire trucks and stuff, I don't know, are they gonna turn on today? When the water starts to subside, I mean, it looked crazy. So they made it to the fire station, but the fire station itself is underwater. The only thing is, it looks like they do have an upstairs section that they can go up the stairs um, to a little bit more safety. Now, of course, as I'm sitting here watching this, you know, everyone always thinks to themselves, what can we do um, better? You know, what can we do more uh, for the next time that this happens? And I guess they're going to have to start. They're going to have to start. Um... And as we learn the scope of the devastation in Florida, Ian still expected to pummel Georgia, the Carolinas, Virginia, eastern Tennessee with heavy mm -hmm. rainfall, which could lead to flash floods and dangerous conditions. Joining me now to discuss Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn. Senator, welcome back to the national desk. How is your state preparing for the residual effects of Ian? Yes, mm -hmm. everyone that I've talked to, all of your emergency responders so, are in preparation for this event. We yeah. have our Tennessee National Guard that is actually in Florida right now helping. Look at this, folks. Research Power lines snapped, they begin to come back. And um, course, which we have obviously experienced ourselves. We've seen this. Our state TEMA. They're watching and tracking the storm, and they'll be ready to help protect roofs down, of course, and to uh, respond as they need to clean up communities. Senator, we know the storm's going to cost billions in federal funds, and, and oh not something gosh. you can billions when, when deciding on a budget. We've already given billions to Ukraine. We've used taxpayer dollars to help with wildfires, massive flooding in other parts of the country, billions for the border crisis. With inflation out of control. How much more can we take? Can you mm. give us a picture of what the American... What a, what a question. How much more can we take? <laughs> We're asking the same question. One of the things that I say as we approach budgets is we should always plan for the unexpected. Mm. Because mm. The look, at the, unexpected look at that boat, the remnants happens. of a boat. And having oh my gosh, the speedway. That looks like a... Is that a gas station? That into a budget. That is something that Congress should do because you know that you're going to have wow. these occurrences. Now, as you look at inflation, homes half torn, cost of energy, the out exterior wall gone, in the, in the past looks like a wood structure and some of kind of zinking on the outside has gone back up. As you look at the this could be a trailer park. I'm not 100% sure, but you know the trailer parks you never know, do well. That is 
more or less a caution flag mm -hmm. that is being waved and is saying we need to focus on energy production. We need to look at how we diversify our energy portfolio so that we have an all of the above strategy. We are using oil and we're using gas or we are drilling. Uh, this should be something that we are thoughtful about and not say, oh, we just want to have Green New Deal. So therefore, we're going to cut off uh, pipelines. We're going to end Keystone. We're not going to drill in Alaska. Uh, different components that do indeed make make a difference as to what the American people face at the pump and likewise what they're seeing at the grocery store, what they're seeing with the price of clothing. All those inflation elements affect families and they also affect government budgets, whether it's your local, state or federal government. Yeah, and we know the Senate did just pass this stopgap funding bill to avert a shutdown this week. Senator, you voted against the funding. First, tell us why the no vote, and what do you want from the Biden administration to prevent a shutdown in December when, when this stopgap does, uh, does run out? Right. The, the measure you're talking about, the continuing resolution will move forward today uh, to the Senate floor. Uh, they are wanting to have this go through December. I think it's important to let the people vote, have their say. And then after the first of the year with the new Congress installed, then do the funding for the balance of the year, which, as you know, the fiscal year for the federal government ends on September 30th and a new one begins. And I know you want to briefly talk about the border crisis because you wanted to talk about some of the hypocrisy from lawmakers in New York and Chicago, Martha's Vineyard, who were outraged when migrants were bused and flown to their cities because you say the Biden administration flew migrants in the dark of night to your state without any warning and no resources. Yes. Tell us about that. When did this happen? Uh, this was in March of last year, believe it or not, 2021 is when this started in Tennessee and you would have these charter planes that would be arriving at airports in our state and migrants would be moved into communities and law enforcement, local elected officials would not know that they were there or who was there until they showed up for health care services, social services, uh, school. Uh, they did not know about this. And actually, Senator Haggerty and I moved forward with legislation saying, look, federal government, if you're going to do this, you need to at least contact the governor. You need to contact local officials. But more importantly, uh, you need to be thinking about what these individuals have been subjected to. They've been traumatized. Many have experienced physical, emotional mental, sexual abuse as they have been on this journey because they're under the, the guideship of the cartels as they make this journey. And what they're subjected to is not compassionate at all. Senator Marsha Blackburn from the great state of Kentucky, we appreciate you joining us this morning here on the National Desk and our best to your residents in the coming days. Thank you. All right, folks. So, um, yes, I mean, the, the situation is um, quite shocking, to be honest. Um, like I said, the Naples fire station underwater and still out there trying to do their part and rescue people, which is really, really um, shocking.
Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, it's just, um, it's really quite unbelievable, to be honest. So we um, are trying to see um, if we can get a hold of Kevin this morning, but I'm not sure if he is uh, available <laughs> to speak with us because I know although he had a generator, um, you know, he might still be trying to get things uh, sorted out for himself. And he does work um, at a university. So naturally, they're also trying to get uh, certain things in place to be able to assist people as well, other university students. So we'll, we'll continue to keep an eye on the situation. Um, what I can say, folks, is that um, at the end of the day, there are a lot of people who are going to be in need over the coming days in Florida. Uh, we remember yesterday I was talking about the whole situation with the property insurance. You know, we have these conversations and we always think, oh, well, that's not going to impact us. And like I said, it's such a small world that you need to know about these things because they have a way of coming um, to impact us in very, very short order. Well, come to find out, I was actually on the phone um, in our chat group for media talking to one of our colleagues only to then discover that she, she's like, okay, you know, she writes for the Miami Herald and she's like, I'm writing the story, but I need to hurry up because I need to try and sort out something because my insurance company is canceling my policy. And I was like, what? Your insurance company's canceling your policy? And she said, yeah, her insurance company was actually canceling her policy, her property insurance policy on her and she didn't know what she was going to do. I could I could not believe it. I was like, are you kidding me right now? But these are the things, um, unfortunately, that people are having to, to deal with this morning. Give me one quick second, folks. I'm just going to pull out and do a quick break here um, because I do have to find something that's quite urgently needed. So just stand by. I'm going to um, just play some music for you. But don't worry, I'm coming right back.
All right, folks, I am back. My apologies. Um, I can't even tell you <laughs> some mornings the things that I'm, the issues I'm trying to resolve for people, but uh, what can you do? One, one issue at a time, one situation at a time, and you just keep it moving, folks. Good morning, everyone. Good morning to Ms. Vernita. Good morning to Juanita. Um, you, know, you know that saying that, um, there's a saying that, I forget how it goes, but it's like, um, oh, my problem isn't your problem when you wait to the last minute or you delay or whatever. Well, that's not true. <laughs> it becomes my problem. Uh, and I really do my best to help people. I, I hate to think that I can't help people. It's, it's, I, sometimes I think there's actually something wrong with me. Like there's something innately wrong with me because I really go out of my way to try to help people because I know the solution is right there. We just got to find it. And so this morning, a bit of an emergency situation. I had to run off into my uh, stash of stuff, equipment, trying to find something for someone. But anyway, good morning to Miss June. Happy Thursday. Dean is here. Diamond Princess. Um, how are you? Making me making me break a little bit of sweat this morning, stressing myself out. Wee oui, wee, oui, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Marshall is here, came on detailing. Love Lopez. Good morning to Ram, who's listening to us on radio. Um, Felicia, talk what you know, says any news from Cuba and our people. Well, oh my gosh, um, talk what you know, some sad news about Cuba, actually, because apparently... 23 was the last word that I heard. Um, Cuban migrants who decided to leave. I don't even know when they left, but they were out in this storm headed towards Florida and they are missing. Oh my God, it's horrible. I don't have the exact details. If um, Let me just try to see if we can update it. Um. But yes, they did. Some people did go missing, and of course, Cuba is also dealing with. Um, so it says that about two dozen Cuban migrants are missing after their boat sank off of the Florida Keys. Oh my gosh! So that was um, sixteen hours ago. So that was yesterday. So the Coast Guard said that they were searching for 23 missing Cuban migrants. This was not the time to try to make it to Florida. Oh my goodness, so sad. So yeah, we haven't had any updates on that. Uh, they had four that were able to swim to shore, but the vessel sank and there were like another 23 on board. So it's probably gonna be, go from a search and rescue to just a search and recovery mission. Because if you saw what was happening out there, like at one point, the storm actually sucked the water out of like Tampa Bay and stuff. It, this storm was just unbelievable. So someone in the WhatsApp chat or WhatsApp messages was saying that Florida doesn't have a whole lot of experiences with storms. Um, and in fact, just yesterday, I was reading that, um, that Florida has only had four, like category four and higher storms in, I guess, whatever history we know about, right? And that's not a whole lot, but then what do we know about hurricanes as well? Like we, we haven't, you know, we had one cat five in our lifetime and the last one was 1932, which I mean, there might still be some in, uh, some people who are alive who might remember some remnants of that storm. 
But, you know, we do have the ability to uh, track storms now, at least. And um, that's helpful to be able to get the warnings, right? Um, I'm trying to remember which other four storms that we have had. Definitely Charlie, which was, I think, the same year that we had Ivan, 2005. Um, let me just see where this, we actually posted this in our Facebook page about the storm because it was kind of interesting that there's only been four storms that have been um, category um, five. So this storm was just two miles per hour sh short of a category five storm. So there's only been uh, four category five storms in U.S. history, not Florida history, but in U.S. history. So, and of course, a category five storm is described as catastrophic damage will occur. High percentage of framed homes will be destroyed with total roof failure and wall collapse. Fallen trees, power lines and poles, isolated residential areas, power outages will last for weeks or possibly months, and most of the area will be uninhabitable for weeks or months as well. And I don't know if you guys saw this um, picture that we put up, which was taken of the, um, let me just show you guys this of the village it's utility trucks in a rural lot uh in the village of sumner county florida on wednesday where they were all just basically on standby to be able to provide some assistance after the storm i mean this picture really brought it home in terms of exactly what they were expecting the crews were in standby and this is good news that they're in standby but look at that it looks like that's got to be hundreds without a doubt, I think, of utility uh, vehicles all on standby. Um, you know, utility bucket trucks, and they've got equipment. And of course, with all the equipment shortages and stuff that we've been having, I hope that they would even be able to source poles and everything else. I don't know how in demand those things are, but hopefully there's been a shortage in that particular area so that now they can be deployed and get out there quickly to try to, you know, solve all, all of the electricity problems that they're going to have for the weeks and months to come. Miss Alice says, good morning, Sandy and all. Missed your show yesterday. We were in an accident, a car accident. Thank God for life. Oh my gosh, what happened? Oh my goodness. So we're going to bring Kevin in. Uh, morning, Kevin. Are you ready? He's going to tell us a little bit about what they experienced. Do you want me to pull you in or are you ready? Hello. Good morning, Sandy. Good morning, K-Man. How are you? I'm doing well. It was a very late and full night. I got a little two-hour booster nap just a moment ago. Oh, my and, gosh. Um, it was very, very windy by, by where I'm in Lakeland. We had winds gusting about 80 miles an hour. And um, some minor damage from what I could see out the window. I haven't actually um, had an opportunity to walk out. The winds just finally died down enough for me to be able to go outside and walk around my HOA community where I'm actually the HOA president. So I might also created a little WhatsApp group for my community. We have 120 units. And and so been keeping updated and I've seen some of the stuff that they sent, but we haven't got a good comprehensive look of what's gone on yet. But I will tell you in my area, I've been quite blessed because mm -hmm. uh, we had electricity throughout the entire event, but um, about two thirds of the entire uh, city that I live in, the city of Lakeland, uh, uh, without power. So mm. definitely, um, 
you know, much more blessed than a lot of others. Um, we, we came out, you know, I would say um, very lucky <laughs> compared to uh, many others. And so um, definitely feel it for those who are going to have to rebuild a lot of what they have to, what, what they're going to have to go through to get rebuilt. Mm, unbelievable. Do we have any um, indications? I know it's still relatively early on, but what are we looking at in terms of actual damage? Um, in my area, um, I, I'm not quite sure yet. I do know, you know, from the reports that we've been kind of monitoring down in the southwestern part of the state, um, they they are definitely experiencing what you call catastrophic damage. Um, so there are going to be a lot of rebuilds. Currently, right now, actually, um, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, is doing a, a presser on that, talking about that they're doing um, some rescues and that sort of stuff for, for individuals. I know fire rescue is fully engaged with a lot of um, activities um, in my county to, for those, because what happens, remember, if you didn't evacuate and um, you're not going to get, you're not going to have anyone going, um, going to help you out in the middle of the storm. And so they, they'd be very clear of that. But what they do, they, you know, 911 will what you call stack the calls. They'll start taking notes and then they'll start mm -hmm. getting to people as time goes on. So, you know, thankfully, um, you know, okay, let, me, let me just be... put you in. Sorry, Kevin, let me just put you in hold one quick second. We do have the director of Florida Emergency right. Management with a few comments. Emphasize that the storm still poses a major threat to the state, including Central Florida right now and Northeast Florida. Orange County Fire Rescue is actively conducting nine wide area search responses on the water for rising water in the Central Florida area that is happening right now as we speak. At this time, the division has received more than 1,500 resources, or I'm sorry, resource requests from our local impacted partners, and we have filled or are in the process of filling 1,300. As the governor said, there are 300 plus truckloads of food and water that have been loaded out and they are mobilizing to leave to the Southwest Florida area right now. In addition to portable, uh, in addition to the issues with cell phones, we are deploying cell phone towers as the governor mentioned, over 100 assets in that uh, arena alone. Um, we wanna rein, uh, reinforce and we appreciate the fact that we have received over 15,000 inputs to our shelter in place system so we want to encourage you if you are sheltering in place or you know someone that has sheltered in place and you know that we need to have uh, go out and check on them please register that individual or register yourself at floridadisaster.org report that's floridadisaster.org report we've made that more specific yesterday it was info but we made it a little more specific so you did not have to hunt around for that site. So again, I'll repeat it for the third time, floridadisaster.org slash report to complete the shelter in place survey. I wanna reiterate, that is not a replacement for 911. If you're in an emergency situation, you need to call 911 in your local area. Our logistical staging areas in central Florida have all the additional resources that we need to respond we have tarps, we have uh, medical supplies if needed uh, in those warehouses. We wanna make sure that all the available resources can get to the residents as quickly as possible. We are obviously in a situation now where we are starting our 72 hour clock. And that 72 hour clock is that we search first, we secure, and then we stabilize. 
So that is what the focus of the state emergency response team is gonna be over the next 72 hours. Again, that is search, secure, and stabilize. I wanna thank the governor and the first lady for their continued leadership and support. They've been here nonstop around the clock. And again, sir, I thank you for that. Okay, first lady. Now, I just wanna say on behalf of the governor and myself, uh, everyone here who's working at the Emergency Operations Center, all of the men and women who have not left since this disaster began, uh, to all of those people across the state, our first responders, I wanna say thank you because the people across the state and the country have stepped up big to support our Florida Disaster Fund. So far in less than 24 hours since we launched the fund, we've raised $1.6 million. Uh, I am in constant contact uh, with two folks. One, the people of Volunteer Florida to pledge that we are going to remove any red tape and bureaucracy from getting those funds deployed to the people who need them immediately. And then also we're working with a lot of businesses across the state to continue to build upon that. But thank you to the people across this country and this state for stepping up stepping up to help wonderful people who are in need. Again, there's a couple of ways that if you want to continue to donate, you can go to floridadisasterfund.org, uh, or you can also text disaster to 20222. But on behalf of so many wonderful people, thank you for stepping up and please continue to do so. So we will be um, having all, all assets marshaled uh, until, until the job is done on this initial, on this, this initial phase. Uh, I may be able to get down uh, today uh, to help to survey and talk to some of the folks down in, in Lee and Charlotte counties. But those were, uh, th those were, were massive impacts. And so mm -hmm. we are looking at, Kevin said, you know, these, these 72 hours, uh, very important for, for safety for folks and, and, and rescuing people that need that um, and eventually bringing some stability. Uh, but you're looking at uh, a storm that, that, that's changed uh, the character uh, of a significant part of our state. And this is gonna require uh, not just emergency response now in the days or weeks ahead. I mean, this is gonna require uh, years of effort uh, to be able uh, to rebuild uh, and to come back. These are uh, fantastic communities down in Southwest Florida with a lot of fantastic people. And they're very tough and resilient. Uh, of course, they didn't ask for this, uh, but, but they need our help now. And we're, we're gonna be there for them. And we understand that, that this is gonna be a very, very long process. Uh, and we also understand that these effects are gonna go throughout the state today. Uh, and you're gonna continue to see effects from flooding and, and these other ailments, uh, not just today, but in the days ahead. So um, thanks for the support for everyone around the country who's donated, and thanks for everyone who's volunteered the time, and thanks for all the other states uh, who have lent their support to us, okay? Wow, so years of effort, this is a quote here, will require years of effort to rebuild. Um, Lee in Charlotte County, that's in Naples, Florida, under curfew following uh, widespread flooding. And and I cannot believe that people are actually looting at a time like this, but we know that that always tends to come um, after a hurricane. So um, they have basically said that Lee and Charlotte County are off the grid, which is just absolutely crazy, Kevin. I'm just yeah. reading a story here that says, um, you know, they do have a curfew obviously in place. And... Um, it's just they've already began looting in Fort Myers. What What is wrong with people? Has the water even subsided for them to be looting yet? Yeah. You know, those the thieves, they, um, you know, definitely um, just take any opportunity um, to, to go in and, and do nonsense like that. I, I will have a, a more statewide comprehensive update um, at 9 o'clock, came on time at 10 o'clock. Mm -hmm. One of the things many people may not realize, but I'm also 
uh, what you call the Region 4 Public Information Officer Response Director for FEMA, which mm -hmm. is uh, for the statewide um, program as well. And so this is when they're going to give us um, a, a report on what's going on. And then other people like me, public information officers, they'll put in a request to start to say, okay, this is the help that I need, the type of help that I need. And then part of my job would be for my region, which is region four, which is kind of the Tampa Bay area. I will start mm -hmm. coordinating different people that might not necessarily be in an emergency response role. They might be people who are you know, communicators for um, not necessarily hospitals because they're going to be overwhelmed, but maybe from the USF or some of the other private sectors um, who are have their credentials, they mm -hmm. signed up to say, yes, I want to help. And then we get them plugged in and then we dispatch them on over to the area where, where that need is because they're certainly going to need help. And one of the lessons learned from a lot of these type of situations is that um, a lot of times um, people ask for help a little too late, especially in the communications mm -hmm. role. And communication is key in these type of situations. Absolutely. And so, you know, we want to make sure that we're getting um, groomed professionals who are able to effectively communicate to the public on down there so we could ultimately get that communication out there to the residents who are greatly impacted. So again, um, in just a little bit, I'll, I'll be on a call where I'll have my updates and then I'll have a lot more idea on a bigger picture of some of the things that are going mm -hmm. on. And, and have a look at this video, folks. This is um, power lines exploding um, as the storm hit, you know, some of the worst areas. Uh, I mean, have a look at this is just just shocking. But power lines falling and, and just going up in, in flames, as you can see there from this video footage. This is what they were having to deal with. Um, so catastrophic category four storm, folks, hit Florida. Hurricane Ian, we only saw it as a category one. 85 miles off the coast of the Cayman Islands. But, you know, every single time anywhere gets hit by a catastrophic storm, I feel like we definitely have lessons that we can all um, be learning from this. And, um, you know, Florida will be in recovery mo mode, especially the Naples area, for quite a number of years, without a doubt. So those people who are without power um, in Naples, Kevin, what are we looking at? in terms of how long it will take them to um, to get power back even. It would be hard to tell, especially down in Naples. One of the reasons yeah. is um, the last time we had come something kind of significant in that region would have been either Chorley or even Hurricane I, um, Irma. And so we had um, in those situations about a month before they had power back. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, after each of these type of disasters, they do what you call an after action report. And then they, they figure out how can we improve for the next time this happens. And mm -hmm. I know um, I've sat in a lot of meetings even, and I know there's been a lot of other meetings with a lot of, lot of people that's more in that area, mm -hmm. how to, to figure out these response plans. You showed a picture of, you know, a lot of different utility trucks from other states and other areas that are all we're waiting for their the response. It could be sooner this time, but it's really hard to tell because I know since such a large part of the state or a large section of the states um, impacted, you know, you're not going to send all your resources to one location. You're going to right. split it up and send, you know, a group here, a group here, and they're going to all prioritize that. That decision will be made at the state level in Tallahassee in our emergency operations center where the governor currently is and Kevin Guntry, who is the, the, the director of, of the emergency operations center there. 
And so they will be, you know, dispatching crews based on the different needs. They're going to be rebuilding the whole entire grid in that area. It's completely mm. gone and they're going to be starting fresh. It's like it never existed, but you have these structures here that need to get utility hookups. You can't just build a grid, but then you have to get the, the homes and the businesses that were destroyed also back up the code before you connect them to the mm. grid. So there's, there's a whole lot of work that has to go on. And so it can be quite some time, even though you might have all of the things planned and in place for a rebuild. So in terms of an exact time end, it's probably near impossible to really predict. I know, mm-hmm. you know, based on last times, it was quite some time. Again, it was over a month and, and or more in, in some situations, depending on where it exactly was. Um, so over time, you'll find out, but those people are going to be displaced for some time because let's say the, the electricity in that area might come back up does not mean that their home will be re- ready because, yeah, you might be prioritizing getting electricity up and running. But, the you know, at this time, the demand for rebuilds is going to be so astronomical that you're not necessarily going to be able to get back to your home for quite some time or even ever. It depends if you're insured. Um, yeah. Some people might be quite underinsured and that might been have been it for for their home and they might have yeah. to figure out another way of uh, another place to live um, permanently. It, it certainly has happened. Right. They might get some government um, help in certain things, but it doesn't mean that they're going to get back exactly where yeah. they are coming from. And I mean, they've ha- they had tornadoes. They obviously had, you know, the main storm with the winds and the storm surge. Uh, causing immense damage. Uh, just looking at some of the photos here, which is quite shocking. Ms. Brenda is saying that she's hearing that there have been um, possibly hundreds of fatalities in Lee County. Um, I don't know that yet. I haven't really seen too much about the fatalities, but of course, you know, it's not even 24 hours later. So the information will start to come in as uh, Florida officials start to assess the amount of damage that catastrophic um, Ian um, has created for them. Only five um, actually not five, four um, category five storms have ever hit the United States. And uh, this was very, sh- just two miles shy of a cat five storm. So uh, Florida has taken on Ian and um, unfortunately it has left, you know, Florida in a state uh, just out of interest back in 1935, we talked about the storm that we had. I don't know if this is the same storm that then went on to Florida, but they actually had a 1935 Labor Day hurricane as well that devastated um, Florida in the Keys. And they just, I I don't know if they weren't naming storms back then, but they just call it the 1935 Labor Day hurricane. And it's considered the strongest storm ever recorded to make landfall in the U.S. Winds of 185 miles per hour killed at least uh, 409 people. And um, I kind of wonder if that was maybe the storm that probably did damage us in 35 as well. I'm sure it was. Um, They had the 1969 Hurricane Camille storm. They had Hurricane Andrew, which most of us will remember in 1992. Somebody was just messaging me, what's up? What was that storm in the 1990s again that devastated um, Miami? That was Hurricane Andrew. So a lot of us do remember um, some remnants of Hurricane Andrew, although we were probably still pretty young. And then, of course, Hurricane Michael in 2018 um, devastated um, parts of Florida as well. And Hurricane Katina, was Hurricane Katina not a Cat 5? I guess it wasn't because it didn't make the list of Cat 5s. So it's probably like a Cat 4, but it doesn't take a Cat 5 storm 
as we can see, to cause um, a lot of you know devastation for the people in these communities. So Kevin, we're so thankful for you um, that you're safe and that so far all of the Caymanians in Florida that we have heard of, a lot of them joined Kevin's WhatsApp group. They've been reporting in to just say that they're safe. Some of them may have lost power and experienced um, some degree of, um, of the storm, varying degrees of the storm. But thankfully, everybody's okay. And that's, you know, property. Just yesterday, Kev, I was talking about um, how, you know, the, I had no clue until seeing this article recently that the market in Florida, the property market, property insurance market is under immense strain. And, mm -hmm. you know, a dozen companies in the last couple of years have gone out of business in the insurance industry. The government insurance is, is having to pick up the slack, but they're going to be inundated. And, you know, what happens when they're inundated? Yeah. Um, costs are going to go up and or, you know, they're going to be failing as well. And when we were having a discussion in our Caribbean group, I saw Jacqueline Charles from the Miami Herald. You know, she covers a lot of um, the English-speaking Caribbean. She was saying to me that she needs to run out and try to get her insurance sorted out because her insurance company just canceled her policy. And I was like, what? A storm is coming. How can they cancel your policy? And she's like, yes. Um they just canceled my policy and I couldn't, I was just like, I, I couldn't believe it. That insurance companies could even do such a thing. Uh, but she said, um, you know, we have a storm and I'm about to get my insurance canceled. So I'm trying to deal with that on top of work. 2022 has not been a good year. Ay, ay, ay. Um, Kevin, so happy yeah. you're okay. Absolutely. All right. and, and I will tell you about that mm -hmm. insurance thing. It's been quite an issue for some time um, because um, even for myself, I was paying um, uh, probably about $600 less for insurance about three years ago. Uh -huh. um, I, I got a sticker jump. It, it went up like $400 one year and then another $200 another year. Um, uh -huh. And that's I am just one story out of so many other people. And um, a lot of people, again, got dropped. A lot of people just can't get the insurance. It's something that some of the, the folks have been putting pressure on um, this, the state on. Um, however, um, it, nothing has really been done at this present time, unfortunately. Um, mm -hmm. and, and they keep on saying they're working on certain things. A lot of insurance companies are just leaving Florida because they don't like what the state is trying to, to require them to do. So it's been quite mm -hmm. a, a political topic, if you want to call it that, for, for mm -hmm. quite some time. Mm -hmm. um, again, like I said, I'm the HOA president for where I live. And um, there's literally less than a handful of companies that we could even bargain with. And it is, a, it's not a great policy, but it's what we can get. So it's, it's, it's definitely something that um, will cause a lot of headache, a lot of frustration. And um, we'll just have to see what the federal government can do to, to try to assist. One of the things I know Governor DeSantis in Florida um, made to the, the president and FEMA was that they wanted to be able to have, um, once you hit a, a certain amount of damage, FEMA then, then takes care of a lot of the reimbursement costs. So I know in Florida, the governor is trying to get a lot of that approved prior to the mm -hmm. damage assessments being um, taken out, I believe, based on what the governor said as I was coming on, um, that they're going to, they're, they've approved some for some of the areas that they completely know in the southwestern yes. part. But my, my, my county and others, um, so far, that's not yet approved. They'll have mm -hmm. to actually go through the, the proper protocol and get the damage assessments done, the dollar amount. And if we hit that amount, 
that's when FEMA comes in with, with the mon monetary resources mm -hmm. um, to assist the state with the financial burden. Right. And just a correction, my brain, our storm was 1932. And that mm -hmm. storm we were just mentioning in Florida was actually 1935. Okay, so, so total but, different. Yeah, yeah. would have wouldn't been the same storm. But gosh, just shows you that I guess these storms have been happening for, for quite some time, folks. Um, and that's recent recorded history. All right, Kevin, we got the premiere waiting. So we're going to go ahead and pull Absolutely. him in. But thank you so much. My and, pleasure. Um, you know, Caymanians overseas, please continue to be safe. Um, follow the advice of the authorities. Um, you know, don't go out in storm water. Um, stay inside. Definitely don't participate in any looting. We wouldn't want y'all to end up in Mall Road for any of that foolishness. So, you know, Caymanians are law-abiding citizens for the most part. Let us continue to be that. And um, Kevin, um, we appreciate it. No problem. I'll check in later with you and have a beautiful Sounds day. Good. Alrighty. Okay. So one death confirmed in Volusia County. Um, we will continue to monitor the situation. I'll just keep the feed up here in the background so we can periodically check, um, you know, what's going on. Ian is still tropical storm Ian with 65 miles per hour wind and uh, still causing damage as it continues its path. So Ms. Debbie says, good morning, everyone. I'm currently in the States. There is uh, 2.6 million people without power so far. And it was mentioned that 100 suspected deaths. Oh, my gosh. Um, unbelievable. We can see some of the aerial view there of some of the damage um, in Fort Myers in particular. The storm surge was absolutely shocking. Um, Damien says, 11 people with no power and water and food in Cuba. You know, Damien, it's it's unfortunate that Cuba's in the situation that it's in. And what is even worse about this is a lot of Floridians who have connections to Cuba would normally be in a position to try to help Cuba. Now they they can't. I mean, they, they are inundated. Um, and, you know, one state becomes a disaster um, area. FEMA has to step up, you know, billions of dollars worth of damage has to be found from somewhere. It just doesn't come out of thin air. So the unfortunate thing is this will have a trickle-down effect on everyone, including even the people in Cuba who may have been able to get some assistance from family members in the U.S. and so on. They will now find themselves in a similar situation where, yeah, you might have more people in Cuba suffering, but now they're going to get even less help because um, of the current situation in Florida. Again, demonstrates what I always say, which is we are just so interconnected as a community, um, as a global community, and even regionally. So let's go ahead and um, pull people in. Um, we've got someone here, good morning, that's saying, um, I need to find out, please, if something can be done for me. I'm coming down on the bus. I'll message when I reach down. It's very shaky. That's what I'm going to. Okay, so this message um, says, what I need you to please find out for me is I'm sure you remember my aunt's house by Northward that you came by for a 105th birthday party last year, February, and you saw the way the house was and it had a lot of mold. Anyway, the house is in my name and the work is still not completed with what they said they were going to do. So I, the first question I would ask is who's they? That's the first question. And then it goes on to say, I have my personal home that got damaged by grace, all the plywood on my back porch got wet and it has a lot of mold. Uh, I lost some shingles from the roof. We tried to fix it, but then uh, that's not completed yet. I will send some photos. My mother's house has my aunt's name still. She's deceased now, 11 years gone. My aunt's name is on it, but my mom's name was taken off of it by death of deletion. 
since I have power of attorney for my aunt and she's still alive and her name still being on the land, I applied for repairs to that too. And I'm now being told that I have three houses in my name and can't get anyone fixed, Sandy. I don't know who this Christine is that works in the office. I don't know what office you're referring to. So I need a little bit more information. And if there's someone above her, if I had 10 houses in my name, they need to be repaired. I don't see why I should get them done. I don't sell drugs or rip off anyone. I went to lands and surveying to get my sibling's name on my mother's property, but I was told it has to go through the courts, which I have no problem with. And I have a brother who's recovering from cancer, Miss Sandy. I could go on, but I'll stop here for now. So let me say this. I mean, I, I, I do remember this house um, and the situation with the elderly lady. And um, th these things can be very, very complex. I mean, it's sad that a woman who's 105 years old is living in a moldy house. I don't know all of the details. I mean, obviously, you have presented some information this morning. But there is a little bit more that I know in particular about this situation that does make me be concerned. And this is why, folks, um, there are times when people are hesitant to help. Because when you have able-bodied adults living in a household, so although the property might be in your name and you have specific situations, you said, yes, you've got three properties in your name, you've got problems. When you have younger, able-bodied adults who can live in a house and see mold and see repairs that need to be done, and they do nothing to um, help themselves or help the rest of the family, that's a problem because a lot of people will say to you, why should government uh, pick up the expense of those types of situations? You know, yes, the oldest person in the house is 105, but if you have an able-bodied 25-year-old or an able-bodied 35-year-old that is benefiting from living in that house, whether the house is in their name or not, um, they should be in their working, they should be making a contribution to the household. Um, I, I know that that house used to be um, her daughter who passed away. And I don't know if that's your aunt. I don't know then if that's your, I don't know how, how she'd be connected to you. But, you know, I know that Miss, um, only because I, I've had the opportunity to speak with her over the years, that um, I can't remember her first name now, but um, I'm pretty sure her last name was Solomon. She shared her last name with, with my family name. But I remember at one point, her like winning the lottery and, and doing all this kind of stuff. And in her lifetime, she's come into money. And this is where we as Caymanians have to take some ownership and responsibility. Because if we're not making good decisions, we end up leaving an elderly mom who outlives us, who's now 105, who, yes, is living in a mold infested house. And that should have never been the situation. And then she allowed an adopted child to go and take that same property and take out a mortgage on it so that he could live a good lifestyle and be off in Florida going to school for a degree that he never got. You see, these are the things, folks, that really get under my skin and um, that really annoy me because I'm all for helping people. But first and foremost, like I said on yesterday's program, we give people a, a hand up in life. We don't give them a handout. So the reason why they're telling you, and I, I just want to be very, very honest with you here because no one seems to be breaking it down for you, is the reason why they're telling you that you have three properties, and so they can't help you is because they're telling you, if you have properties that are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars in value, when you have damage to those properties, what you do is you go to the bank, you take out a small loan, and you fix the house. You don't go to NAU saying, I am poor because that doesn't meet the definition of poverty, and I need you to fix my house. Not when you have a mortgage-free property. 
Okay. Just listen to what I'm saying, because this is the hard, cold truth that a lot of your MPs don't want to tell you because they think, oh, if we tell you this, this is going to insult you. Well, insulted or not, if you own three properties that have no mortgages on it and they all need some degree of repairs, right? You go out there and you get the most reasonable quote to get the work done. And I don't know how much damage or whatever we're talking about here, but say each house is $10,000 to fix. That's $30,000 across three properties. That's not a whole lot of money to borrow from the bank. And if you have those homes outright, the bank will gladly loan you the money because guess what? The bank is going to secure that with collateral, which is the property themselves. Our people need to understand certain things. And I do not feel that, again, a lot of times for political expediency or I don't know, whatever, our politicians don't break it down for you. They don't want to hurt your feelings. They don't want to lose your vote. Listen, I don't care about hurting people's feelings. Sorry if you think that's harsh. And I'm not looking for a vote. Those are the realities of the situation. Young people, listen up. You have elderly people who are your family members, your grandparents, your parents. You cannot sit back and allow those people to be in mold-infested homes in their senior years while you sit back waiting to get the death benefit from them when they die because then you acquire that house that's worth $200,000, $300,000 or more. And then you're like, oh yeah, when I get it, then I'll fix it up. That's not right. You should be doing your part as a member of this community. All right. Ms. Darlene says, Sandy, it's called priorities. Hmm. Nicholas says, I totally agree with you, Sandra. The able-bodied should work and repair it because they're the beneficiaries. Exactly. How can you know that you're going to, you know what? If you want to leave the property to government and then government can use it for something else, then allow government to repair it. This is the way that y'all need to start thinking. And these are some of the programs that government needs to implement. We're going to invest in your home to repair it. And what is the benefit that we're getting exactly? Sign it over to us. And we'll, 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 we'll turn it into eventually an old folks home or, you know, a, a home for the homeless or whatever. And while you're alive, we will keep it in good repairs and good stead. And then when you die, the government owns it. Are you willing to do that? I bet you you're going to say no, because those same gravelicious children that you have who now sit back and do nothing to help you are like, oh, no, mommy, you can't leave that house to government. It's either or either, but it can be both. Izzy says, thank you, Sandy, for breaking that down in detail about the property. Real Deal says, like I said, some people want everything for free and have no damn shame. Leeches. Uh, we have a culture here uh, now that love to live off of the state. And this is, I mean, it's unfortunate, but if I have to tell you how it is, then, you know, I understand the logic of what it is that they're saying. And I think, unfortunately, because this individual doesn't understand what is being said to her because somebody's just trying to be too nice with the explanation when they just needed to break it down. Um, as Brenda says, when you tell people that you'll give them a hand up and not a hand out, they say that you're callous and cold-hearted. So listen, um, again, I'm very, very conscious that the, that the premier is here, so we're going to bring him in shortly. On yesterday's program, folks, um, I was talking about, and I, I followed this up with a couple of social media posts, right? Uh, people constantly saying, and there's one or two MPs in particular that nobody can ever reach. And I hate to say it, but the former leader of government, uh, former premier, Alden McLaughlin, happens to be one of those. You message Alden, he reads your messages and never even says hello. All the time. And I've had multiple people. This person's like, 
oh, Sandy, I contacted him about this. And, you know, he didn't even, my entire household voted for him and he didn't even have anything to say, blah, blah, blah. And I said, listen to me. First of all, you need to stop voting for people in the belief that they're ever going to help you. I'm not saying that Alden has to help every single person that messages him. That would probably be an impossibility. What I do say is at least have the courtesy of when someone messages you to acknowledge their message and say to them, I'm not in a position to assist you. However, here are your options. It doesn't take any sweat off of you to just acknowledge a person. It's the least that you can do. And I also reminded people that there's some MPs who have no constituency office and still take the $5,000 a month constituency allowance. And I want to know, how is that being audited? How, what do they show that's being done for it? And who exactly are they helping? These are some questions that I myself have of these elected representatives. You've never had an MP office. Now tell me, how does that work for the constituents of Red Bay? Then they'll come back at you with this argument that, oh, well, the progressives is a party. So, you know, we have a, we pool our resources. Okay. So that's, um, someone reminded me it's no longer seven of them because John, John jumped over, but whatever. Uh, six times five, that's $30,000 a month. Show me where the progressives is helping anybody to the tune of their collective $30,000 a month. Let's, let's minus $5,000 probably for rent. Maybe another, give them, you know, liberally, even another $5,000 for CUC utilities and whatever. They get paid staff. They get allowances from the government. The government gives them one person that they can have as their, their political assistant or their office assistant or whatever the heck we're calling it. And they don't have an office and they can't help nobody. Anyway, let me just stop there before I have to take another blood pressure tablet. Um, listen, folks, right now I'm actively trying to help people find accommodations. If you know anyone who can help with accommodations, especially for any of you clients, do reach out to me. I also have a young lady who wants to get some, she says, plywood and stuff to try to build something for her, her and her kids. Hopefully she's following the code and she's going through the proper procedure, aka planning, to get it done. I do have a member, one of the pastors in the churches, who has reached out and said that he will be willing to assist. Anybody who has plywood and who can help this mother, I even have had a gentleman who's an expat who said he can help with work. Obviously, he's not looking to get paid or anything like that. He will volunteer his services. He can do handyman plumbing and some basic electrical stuff. He's also willing to assist. Uh, there's another young lady right now who has sent a disconnection bill for CUC. She's another, you know, reached out to Alden, no response, uh, said that she's about to get disconnected. Her bill is a little bit over $1,000. You know, if you can donate $25, $50 or whatever, please just let me know. I'll give you the account details so you can go directly online and make all of the payments. You can do it through the phone and everything. You can do it online. You can make those payments yourself. We have another mother. She is working, but she said there are times when to feed her child, um, she is going hungry herself, right? Because she can't afford it. And she's trying to pay the utilities and keep everything else going. Uh, we're going to get her some gift cards. I've already had a few people come forward and say that they will donate gift cards. I'm going to go to Foster's this morning myself and also purchase her some gift cards. As a community, we are the most generous people. We don't mind helping if you genuinely need help. Now, don't take advantage of it. And I'm warning y'all, I told you about this already. Don't take advantage of it, right? And what I want you to do is pass it on to someone else because one day you will be in a position, if you make some better decisions, to help people as well. And you have to be committed 
to everybody helping. All right, uh, Premier Panton, good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Sandy. Uh, can you hear me well? Yes, you sound good. Okay, all right, thank you. All right, Elaine's Closet says, tell them, Sandy, you're not considered in need of assistance if you're working and have debt-free properties. Um, Damien, what, what's wicked? I'm not sure. Uh, Nicola says, give it to them, Sandra, give it to them. I mean, you know, it's a cold hard truth and sometimes we need a dose of it. Alice says for real, Sandy, tell them if you want to see parents, check out the pines. It hurts my heart to see parents there and children living off of their hardworking money. Why take them out of their home to put them in the pines? Well, to be fair to some people who end up in the pines, sometimes it's not even about the money. It's about they may need um, sort of specialized around-the-clock care that you can't always uh, provide for them. You know, I've heard of people getting domestic workers. They're not necessarily qualified. You put them in your homes. You know, the old people might have Alzheimer's, dementia, whatever, and they end up hurting themselves or even trying to help hurt helpers and that sort of thing. So people do end up in homes. I'm not necessarily saying I'm against people being in homes. Sometimes you may not have a choice um, but to put them in homes. You know what I mean? So, and it's not always about the finances. So Miss Izzy says, next election, he'll be seeing a lot of, he will be saying a lot of hellos. Hmm. Um, Brenda says, Cayman has become a country for, of welfare for Caymanians due to the misdirection the island has taken. Miss Lucille, good morning. She says, shout it out, Sandy. Good morning. There at Children is Not Thankful, preaches it. Um, listen, it, it is sad because um, someone said to me, I can't remember who that was, but someone said to me this weekend, they're, they're an only child and they're dealing with an elderly parent. And they said, you know, oh my gosh, as an only child, it's so much of a struggle on me to try to do all this stuff for my one parent. And I said, you know, the irony of it is sometimes people have five, six children, and it still only be, you know, only that one child that still is doing the bulk of care for the parents. So you might have one, you might have 10, and it still ends up being the same. Anyway, I appreciate the comments. Real deal. Says, I noticed that all these young mothers, what's the, where are the sperm donors? Uh, yes. I mean, God knows that's a real question that we ask here all the time. And, um, you know, young women, once again, need to be making better decisions. I was shocked last week after we were talking about family planning to discover that the HSA has free birth control for Caymanians that I've never even heard about. Why is that not being, you know, yelled from the rooftop? Premier, do you have any idea why we're not marketing that our people can get free birth control from the HSA? Why doesn't everybody in Cayman know that? Um, to be honest, I, I can't tell you why, but I, I suspect that Did in the you past, know that? I, I wasn't actually aware of that. See? But I suspect that in the past, efforts have been made to communicate that. Um, and sometimes these things, you know, eventually the, uh, the focus changes to something else. Um, and and they, they, they drop the, the efforts to communicate it. But um, I think I agree with you. I think, you know, these things should be, should be front of mind for everybody um, because it mm -hmm. is a, a, an essential part of, you know, the services that should be available to, um, to people. Yeah. Well, folks, spread it far and spread it wide. You heard it here. Um, I didn't know. The premier didn't know. If we don't know, probably many of you don't know. Apparently, if you're Caymanian and spouses of Caymanians, HSA offers free birth control. And I don't know what methods. Maybe we need to get them on to talk about this. But by all means, um, take advantage of that. That's one less thing that you have to budget for. 
because again, the single thing you can do as a young person to prepare yourself financially for the future is to not have children that you cannot afford and get yourself an education. All right, Premier Panton, listen, we have so much to cover. Where do we begin? First of all, uh, you know, we're going to have to ask you straight up. Um, has the Speaker of the House resigned as yet, the Speaker of Parliament? Um, I have not had any notification from the clerk of the Parliament in respect to that. <sighs> okay. So the, the uh, more, it, it doesn't come to me. Right. And I mean, but but at the same time, the only way that he can resign is a formal letter, formal notice in writing to the clerk of parliament. He can tell you and make promises to you, make promises to the people, make promises to the governor. None of that matters if he doesn't actually make that official submission. Right. And uh, we haven't heard of it, so I doubt that it has been done. Uh, so what, what next in terms of that? I mean, obviously you penned a very strong letter to the speaker. You made your concerns, um, known. I think, you know, it would be fair to say that, uh, you probably always felt a degree of angst, uh, even having to be put in this situation, but what now can you do about it? Well, I mean, that is the, the um, decision to be made now. Sorry, um, Sandy, I'm a little bit distracted. Just while I was waiting, I knew I was um, dealing with another matter to assist one of our constituents with their um, CUC um, costs. Um, mm -hmm. Just trying to contribute as um, you know to, to help people out in, in difficult situations. Um, so, in relation to that, um, I. I have been very clear with the speaker. Uh, it is not a personal agenda for me at all. Mm -hmm. um, I have no ax to grind. I have no issue mm -hmm. personally with him. Um, but I have said to him that for his own good and for the good of the country, um, I think he, he needs to resign. Mm -hmm. And I've been very clear in my letter to him. I've spoken to him subsequently, and I, I have told him that. Mm -hmm. And I, I've also told him that, you know, I expect questions from the from the press and I will be um, responding in this way. I will be telling um, telling the press and the people of the country that I have had that conversation and I've told him um, precisely that. So personally, I would prefer for him to take that approach. Um, but obviously there is a, a process through which um, this, this can be affected without mm -hmm. his without his um, approval and consent um so that is something for that that will have to be considered as mm -hmm. long as he takes the position that he's not going to um but obviously it it will depend on support um amongst the rest of the the members of parliament i'm i'm one vote mm-hmm mm -hmm. So um, essentially what you're saying is, um, just to make it abundantly clear, if he does not resign, there, the only other option is to do a vote of no confidence directly against the Speaker. Yes. And okay. every member of Parliament will have to vote um, against that to make that, at least you need, what, two-thirds? No, not every member. You, you would need two-thirds of yes. the 19, so you need... How many, how many is that? Where are my math people in the House? You'd need 13 people voting. Okay. Well, that seems doable, especially since the um, progressives has now changed their tune and they've taken a position, um, apparently, that uh, 
you know, maybe this is the final straw for them. I mean, you know, him physically assaulting a woman caught on camera and all that kind of stuff and being convicted wasn't the final straw, but maybe this time they're on board. So well, um, I don't how, know, to be honest. Um, I'm not well, sure there's only one way we're going to find out, right? I'm not sure what their position is because, um, you know, I, I took the action that I thought was necessary and appropriate mm -hmm. uh, in the circumstances. Um, they have never previously taken that kind of approach even though mm -hmm. it was entirely open to them um, and on, on more than one occasion. And it is very curious and largely ironic that the approach um, taken by them is following my, uh, my position, my express position that he should resign. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they come back and say that, well, you, you go first, you know, <laughs> bring we we're we're going to bring a motion to bring down the government our attempt to bring down the government right um so last year you know they they had um they were in a situation where there was an, an opposition um motion and there the, the the ppms who, who was the government at the time their response to that was to dissolve parliament right um mm -hmm. you know it's just curious that in this case their response to me taking the position I did is to ask for the dissolution of government. So, you know, I don't know where that goes and what what, what sort of motive does that mm -hmm. suggest? Um, certainly not one that I think um, represents, you know, what they would call love of country or, or prioritizing any kind of national interest. Mm -hmm. And again, this is not, you know, I'm, I'm not going, having a go at, um, at the speaker. Um, this is, this, as I said to you before, this is not something that is personal. Um, but I, my view is for his own interest, for the interest of his family, interest of his constituents and the interest of the country, I think he should step down. Absolutely. Well, we have said it as well. Um, so Andrea says 13 to 14 members needed to get him out. When is the next? Do you have to have, do you have to wait until the next uh, sitting of the LA or is this something, a motion that you can bring um, as a special motion to the house? And how, well, how much time are you going to be giving him is what I want to know. There is, there is a scheduled meeting for next Wednesday. Okay. Um, but of course, what happens is the motion for... Um, the motion of no confidence in the in in the government mm -hmm. that the opposition the ppm have brought effectively takes precedence um over most other things including that kind of motion it would really only be if government had business that was very urgent that needed to be dealt with mm -hmm. um, first thing that um you know by tradition normally uh they would be able to government would be able to deal with that first and then deal with the motion of no confidence. We, mm. I'm not going to say that we have anything uh, at this point that is that exigent. So I think that we'll end up having to deal with that motion first. So and their I, motion, we have, we have a lot of things we want to get done for the people of the country. Right. Um, and this is, this is a shameless, distraction um it is it is an attempt to try to create instability uh, for the country and i don't think it reflects well on 
the the opposition at all. Okay, so they may or may not have the numbers for their motion, right? So even if they don't have the numbers in advance because they have officially filed a motion with the clerk or parliament, it still has to be heard. That's correct. Yeah, yes. whether or not whether or not they feel they have the numbers, and I I clearly don't feel they have the numbers. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that there's going to be that kind of support um, for this this approach. This this motion requires members of the government to vote in favor of a motion which says that the government has effectively failed. Right. Um, and clearly, that's not the case. If you look at all the metrics, if you look at everything we have been doing, that is not the case. This government has been responsive, it has been productive, and it has met the needs of other people in this country. Um, are, are we, are, is everything perfect? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. But it is a lot better, and people are the people of this country. I am sure feel that they want they do not want a progressives-led government. So, mm. unfortunately, this is the darker side of politics. Mm -hmm. um, it is not not something that I like to 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 deal with. It's not my typical kind of approach, um, you know. And if you look back historically in Cayman. Motions of this sort, um, there's only really one example of, of a motion of this sort being brought just to change a leader. Mm -hmm. um, typically, motions of this sort are brought where the leadership is in crisis because of a variety of issues that, you know, typically relate to serious um, sort of charges. Um, and this this is embarrassing for, for, for this country, it's in, I believe that it promotes instability for a country that is has been historically proud of its political stability and there is there is absolutely no basis uh, for bringing this but this is typically what um, opposition uh, members will try in a variety of other countries um, where they have more of a history of political instability not in this country it's not that's not our history here mm -hmm. So uh, we do have a question or a comment here from Darlene. She says, morning, everyone. Sandy, maybe that will never happen unless some of the PAC um, cast, government cast their votes in, in favor of this uh, progressives opposition motion. And maybe they will not because they won't want, they would want to save their government. Do you have any concerns? Um, let's be very, very clear this morning. Do you have any concerns as of today about any member of your PAC um, agreeing with this motion? No, I don't. All right, Ms. Brenda says, has Mr. Bush been found guilty? Shouldn't this matter wait for the police investigation to be completed? Let the process take the take place and then condemn him. So we've heard this before in relation to Mr. Bush, and <laughs> this is how he has managed to avoid a lot because he's only ever really had two cases that have gone to court, one that he has been found um, guilty of and received a suspended sentence. When you talk about your code of conduct, which hasn't yet been put in place for all MPs, does your code of conduct only want to address behavior where someone is actually found guilty? No, no. The code of conduct um, is is one that requires you to meet certain behavioral standards. Um, what we are going to have to do, even after the code of conduct is put in place for members of parliament, is we're going to have to evolve our standing orders and involve our um, disciplinary process. Mm -hmm. um, 
so for example we do not have the ability um currently unless sorry let me let me back up it is only the speaker who mm -hmm. has the ability to suspend a member of parliament and that is in some relatively narrow instances where they say some say offensive things they uh, wrongly accuse um, other members of parliament of you know un unparliamentary um accusations and the speaker can ask for the the member who has uttered make these uh, made these utterances to withdraw them and if they fail then the speaker can name them mm -hmm. um, and, and have them suspended for a period of time um we don't have any other mechanism really where so for example we don't have a disciplinary committee mm. through which complaints could be received and dealt mm -hmm. with um and then voted on um either you know it depends on how you how you structure it but mm -hmm. in other other countries that have more developed mechanisms around discipline in parliament they have they have the ability for the disciplinary committee for example to make decisions um or make recommendations in mm -hmm. some cases to the wider parliament for a vote in some cases it's just a disciplinary committee that makes these these um these decisions but in in in, the, in either case it involves a possible suspension of the member from parliament um, in some countries the mechanism goes as far as as um providing for expulsion from mm -hmm. parliament for bad behavior Mm -hmm. um you know so if it's very serious um the very serious breach then you know in some cases you can expel constitutionally in cayman there are only two circumstances under which you can you can be removed well i guess you could call it three you can resign well, that's more actually more than that actually you resign you you can be if you become bankrupt mm -hmm. um Imprisoned for but, a year, but yeah, but outside of those things, outside of resignation, outside of something like bankruptcy, um, you would have to be convicted of an offense which involves an element of dishonesty. Um, in other words, you don't have to be convicted of theft, for example, but you could be convicted of an of another offense, say fraud or something similar, which involves an element of dishonesty. Um, that would get you disqualified for life. Um, and similarly, if you are sentenced to a custodial sentence of 12, I think it's 12 months or greater, um, you can get disqualified for that as well. But those are the only two circumstances mm -hmm. under which constitutionally you can be disqualified or, or, or expelled from parliament. Other than the other the other um, items that I, that I mentioned, so we are we have constitutionally very limited ways of dealing with this. But what I want to see developed is I want to see the code of conduct in place, and I want to see a disciplinary mechanism through which ultimately somebody can be suspended, even if they can't be expelled. You can provide in the rules that they can be suspended. Mm -hmm. Now the code of conduct. Um, I drafted that, um, well, several people had a, a, um, were involved with it, um, including the, the deputy speaker, current deputy speaker, 
um, Honorable Deputy Speaker, uh, Ms. Kathy um, Evans-Wilkes, um, myself and members of the Cabinet Office, that was circulated, that was presented to the Parliamentary Management Commission, our council, and that was circulated in March of this year. I have no evidence of any comments whatsoever from the opposition in respect of that. The only comments I'm aware of are certain members of, of government who will come who will come back to me and ask for a few clarifications. Nothing. So let, let's be very, very clear what you've just said. A draft code of conduct for parliament has been circulated to all MPs, including the opposition? Including the opposition. All who, who, who now says that you've made no progress on a code of conduct. Well, precisely. <laughs> okay. Well, Andrea says the progressives are playing politics now, so shameless, and it's a distraction at this time. Well, especially in light of when we know information like this, that they've seen, I would certainly call that progress because they never provided a draft code of conduct ever. Um, and since March, and they've never... Did they acknowledge receiving it? I mean, maybe they'll claim that they never got it. I don't know. I, I didn't send it out. It was sent out by the clerk of the of, of parliament. Of parliament. So they should have gotten it. Jesus. And uh, no, no feedback on it. Nothing. So how can they say that no progress has been made? Well, there you go. The very definition is, and as Andrea rightfully says, of playing politics, shameless. Anthony says not a priority, but still no formal statement from any member or branch or ministry of the government on Miss Cayman universe controversy. Um, you yourself have not um, addressed this, and perhaps now it's time to ask you directly. Um, what is your take on the Miss Cayman Islands universe controversy, as Anthony says? Well, I haven't been involved with it at all, um, despite some of the rumors, despite the suggestion that, um, you know, I was personally involved in some way. Um, this is a situation that has developed. My, my only... Um, the only thing I would encourage in respect of this is to make sure that we treat um, the individual involved fairly, as fairly as possible, um, but recognize that, you know, the situation that the individual is in with these pending charges requires that to be resolved before they can... Well, they're not pending charges. They're actually can, charges well, in court. So they... Well, Sorry, they're 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 pending pending trial, but right. the charges so, aren't pending. Right now, so I don't want to say anything more about that because it is mm -hmm. before the court. Um, Let me ask you a question about the committee, who seems to have a level of immunity that I've not seen with any other government committees or boards. Um, now, this committee is a little bit different because they are a volunteer committee. Um, is there any reason why this committee, in many many years, has not been reshuffled or reassigned? It seems like an appointment as a Miss Cayman Islands Universe committee member is an appointment for life. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> I think, I think it's because you know there are a group of people, a group of ladies in particular, that have have shown um, a long-standing interest in in organizing this this event and supporting the um, the contestants and ultimately the the winner. Um, I, I think, um, sometimes it's difficult to find people who are interested and want to continue to be involved in, 
in 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 various events and this is one of those that these ladies and 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 i think perhaps one or two gentlemen have demonstrated a long-standing interest so that is i think that is probably why you know they have continued um and it, it is it's something that you know i think many governments have been happy to let them continue to to uh, be involved for those reasons because of their passion because of their interest so it's not not at all a question of whether they're there for life um they can be changed at any time and you know i think what we've seen at least what I've, i'm aware of is that some members have resigned um, because of this issue, this particular issue um to be honest the um i think they need to improve their process and their procedure um a lot better so mm -hmm. that these types of issues don't um, arise again in future Right. And will there be anyone overseeing that from a ministerial position? I mean, I know this isn't your ministry. Anthony says, I'm about to call for no confidence vote in the Minister of Tourism for his mismanagement of this entire fiasco. Do we even have any indication that let the let committee... Me, let, me, let me say that it, it, it's not fair at all to place um, the blame for this situation on the minister. Um, this is the structure and the approach and the rules in relation to this. Um, have been in place for a very long time and, and predates um, Minister Bryan's um, involvement as minister. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not fair at all to blame him for anything in respect of this. I think um, it is for us now to make sure that we bring the necessary integrity um, and, and, and um, rules around this process to make sure that this doesn't happen again, to make sure that we are very clear that the people who are participating and who ultimately may win and go on to represent the country are people that are are free of any um any in anything which reflects negatively in some way yeah um, on, maybe on they them. need a code of conduct too on them well i, I agree <laughs> i mean i agree know, i mean I, i'm not sure whether there's a code of conduct for for them i i believe there there's really people. nothing from what we've seen it's yeah. like um do you have a police record name weight send us a bathing suit photo and a headshot and you're in. Uh, Ms. Brenda says, I would only expect a strong course of proper action to place the um, mute committee and change the requirements for entry. Please don't say it's sensitive or delicate. Anthony says he doesn't need to comment on the individual in her court case, but on the lad. I'm not sure what that bit means, no. but anyway. And he says, with all due respect, Mr. Panton, uh, this is beyond weak speak. <laughs> so Ms. Brenda says well, it's think, a committee, me, not a board. Say something. Let me say something. Yes. I don't know where, where Anthony comes from on this, but, um, you know, when matters are before the court and when they involve um, the rights of individuals, mm -hmm. we do not have the ability to go out there and express views um, what, which may prejudice their ability to do to have due process. Um, their rights become paramount. And I am not about to start um, getting involved in, the, in any discussions on this. And you can call that weak, but that is a reflection of proper process and procedure. And that's one of the reasons that we have certain problems in this country. That's not, that, that is our weakness, our failure to adhere to proper standards and proper mm -hmm. process. You cannot go out there and just start talking about people or doing whatever you want you have to comply with certain rules, certain standards. And this is what I have been trying to bring to this, to, to government generally, to the structure 
for too long, I think we have, we have we've ignored and lived on the flexibility that allows us to do whatever we want to do. Mm-hmm. Too many governments in the past have just enjoyed having this this ability to do whatever they want without having to worry about any specific constraints. That's why you see a, 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 the cabinet manual, for example, being put in place, which sets out the process, makes it clear to the people of this country how we make decisions and why we make decisions and when we yes. make decisions. You also have a code of conduct that has been put in place, which very clearly sets out expectations for the people who sit in cabinet. And that's not just the that's not just the elected um, uh, members. Mm-hmm. And I want the same thing in place for Parliament. We need to start adhering to certain basic minimum standards here and put in place a process and a mechanism which holds people to those standards. We're public servants. We are here to serve the interests of the public. The public has a right to expect certain minimum behaviors and standards of behavior from all of us. And I'm willing to hold myself to that. I am absolutely willing to hold myself to that. And I'm absolutely willing to hold every other member that I have control over to that. Mm-hmm. Now, in the past, we've not had a code of conduct. Um, so people have, you know, you don't know when members may have been in breach of um, certain standards because it just wasn't mentioned. But when you put a code of, code of conduct in place and it's communicated to the community what those standards are, then you have a situation where the community can participate in when they see people that may be in breach, they can they can help to hold them accountable as well. That's what is good about the process. Not only it's not only my responsibility as premier to do it, but it is also the responsibility of the community. And when you put these standards in place, yes, of course you're going to have occasions initially when people um, transgress in certain ways, um, but. The point is that is going to become less and less because you and I are going to be holding them accountable. And if if it's me, then the governor is going to be holding me accountable. Mm. That's the way the process is going to work. And that's the way we're going to improve standards and we're going to get better representation and better behavior um, and better results for the people of this country. All right. Ms. Brenda says it's a committee, not a board appointed by the sitting minister of tourism. There are lots of interested people. They're being asked because of poor politics. I think she meant they're not being asked because of poor politics. Brenda, um, the Honorable Belika says, Honorable Premier, there's no case for lack of confidence in your government. The opposition looks desperate to regain power. Live says it's not difficult to find people. Many aficionados were rejected, I guess, in relation to the Miss Cayman Committee. John Henry says, is the government not the franchise holder? Um, and someone on, on WhatsApp did say that the Minister of Tourism promised a comment over a month ago and nothing has been forthcoming. Guess he's still reading his so-called report that he was waiting on. So uh, that's a problem. Um, this person says, morning, Sandra. Please tell Mr. Panton that I'm proud to have him as my premier and that I hope he remains premier for a very long time. Um, we have, um, Belika says the DPP needs to decide soon on charging the speaker or not, and it will help parliament decide. So of course we know that the police as of last week said that they are still investigating the matter. It's not a closed investigation as some people were potentially, um, alluding to. So we will await the outcome hopefully sooner rather than later of that situation. Anthony goes on to say, does the minister have no power? 
could he not have instructed the committee to remove her? And does the tourism ministry not own the rights? You don't have to talk about the court case at all. Not asking about the court case, talk about the ones who had oversight. So um, I think the problem, Anthony, which we have pointed out here, is because the committee had no proper process in place to begin with. Removing her now for criteria that never existed at the time of her entry would open them up to a lawsuit. And I think that they could see that coming from a mile away. So that is why they've taken this laxadaisal approach, because they've had no choice. Had they had a proper application form and vetted their candidates properly, this situation could have, as you rightfully said, been avoided. And I think that that alone speaks to why the committee should be dissolved. But that's just my opinion. Stacy says this is not about Miss Cayman. It's about the Cayman Islands. When you send someone out there, you who's representing them, doing um, representing them along uh, their the country. I think something's missing there, but yes, we get the point. Um, Damon says you want government to get sued. Well, that's exactly what would happen. Because again, if as the premier said, if you don't have written procedure, guidelines, code of conducts, you can't just make willy nilly decisions. You need some degree of guidance on this. So hopefully now, um, you know, that will happen. We still haven't even heard from the committee to say even that much will happen. They're like, oh, let's just wait and see what the court case um, decides. But that has nothing to do with the overarching issue, which is their poor, uh, you know, criteria in the first place, which they haven't ever addressed. So Ms. Jean says, NAU outdated eligibility, particularly in this time of increased cost of living. We're still trying to get Minister Andre Ebanks on the program to talk about the new proposals and how they intend to revamp NAU. Um, you know, we're trying, folks, <laughs> so that you all can be in the know. And um, uh, Stellar? In, in, in respect of that, the minister has had some challenges. He's had to travel quite a bit. Um, he was recently um, in, in um, Managua, Nicaragua, representing Cayman in mm -hmm. relation to the FATF uh, Cooperative Review Committee that is dealing with the issues around um, Cayman um, coming out of this enhanced review process uh, in relation to our anti-money laundering and countering the financing of terrorism um, mechanisms. And he's also, unfortunately, as has been stated publicly, um, he's had COVID. Um, and so he's, I, I think he's going to be out today, thankfully. So he's he's... He's sent me this morning a copy of um, three different negative um, um, F, uh, LFTs. LFTs, <laughs> um, <laughs> all these acronyms. Um, he sent three three different LFTs, all lined up together as negative. So I am going to be happy to see him in person um, a little bit later today. All right, so very he, good. He, well, we'll we'll be happy to see him virtually. Now, remember, <laughs> this this is going to be this is on the agenda. Yes. The, the the new law to replace the poor that that really unfortunately named law called the Poor Persons Relief Act um, that is going to be replaced. Um, that is what we have on the agenda for um, the upcoming Parliament meeting. Mm -hmm. And the the I am absolutely certain the minister will be more than happy to come on and discuss um, the the changes that this reflects. And this is an attempt to reimagine and and change the way we deal with the provision of assistance to people in this country who need it. Um, so this is this is clearly going to be, I think, um, significantly Im Im improved um, 
um, services to people of the country who need these kind this kind of support. Okay. Samis Moya says the committee has shown incompetence and outright favoritism. <laughs> they need to be removed and ensure protocol and rules are in place, ensure an individual with that level of charges is facing court, isn't chosen to stand at a national platform to represent um, Cayman as the best of us. Perla says, do they know how serious their role is and to represent the Cayman Islands? The code of conduct is important and not, should also put in place a fine. Uh, Ms. Brenda says it's not, Sandra, it's not that cut and dry. Could have been dealt with without a lawsuit. I'll leave it there. It's all shameful to our islands. Well, well I, as I, you can I, see, I, I Premier, a lot of people obviously I, I agree. I, I understand their, their, their concerns, Sandra. Mm -hmm. But to be perfectly honest, we have a lot of other challenges. Um, as, as good as I am prepared to say that the government has performed, um, we have to accept that there are still challenges, no matter how good a government performs, mm -hmm. there will still be challenges and, and continuing issues to, to, to address and, to, and the needs of the people to be met. Um, and this is, this to me is an issue that is on a track to be resolved in one way or another. It is not an, a, an, a, a, a wretched problem that will never get resolved. This is going to be resolved mm -hmm. and it's likely to be re resolved relatively soon. So let's just let that happen, but let's not get bogged down in, in, in things that, that for them on a temporary basis, bring up our emotions mm -hmm. when we have so many other challenges to continue to, to meet. And I would love to see the, the, the public engaged in participating in many of these other issues as well, not just getting stuck into you know, something like the, the, the Miss Cayman controversy. Um, not saying that it's not a legitimate concern and not saying that there aren't issues to be resolved there. Clearly there are, but mm -hmm. we have lots of other things um, to be concerned about as, as well. Um, I mean, Hurricane Ian is a perfect example um, of the realities that we face every, every hurricane season. And you know, I think um, our, our, you know, we've lost two people in Cuba. Um, and at one point, I don't know how, what kind of progress they're making, but the whole of Cuba, 11 million people were in the dark. Mm. Um, and, and that is a, you know, that's a significant issue for us to, to ponder. Um, it could be, it could have been Cayman. So we, we have to be eternally thankful and grateful that um, you know, that it wasn't came on that, that we ended up with a situation where, you know, again, we were blessed not to have those kinds of impacts. Um, you know, being a part of the chat group that, um, that I believe Kevin set up for Florida and seeing all of the loads of Caymanians and, and, and the Caymanian students who chose to stay in Florida, um, to shelter. I think seeing all of that was just a reminder um, that we have so much to be thankful for. And I'm very grateful that none of them were, were, um, were impacted really badly. Um, they're all, they all seem to be safe. Um, and I think we're, we're very happy that, you know, we have people that look after other people and that care about their, their fellow Caymanians care about their fellow human beings. You know, we had the we, we had probably close to thirty students that came home um, 
I think yesterday morning on the on the Tampa flight. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was obviously a huge relief to to a lot of the families that um, that were concerned that their children were going to be in harm's way. And of course, Tampa itself is a big center for Caymanians, um, the, the, Tampa, the wider Tampa area. So we're really happy and, um, and grateful that that didn't have a, a huge impact um, there because that could have been that could have been very very tragic for for many people there. So you know, in in terms of Cayman, I think um, I, the people of this country came together, um, worked with the the representatives, the, the members of parliament, um, and we got. The, we got um, a lot of supplies out to them to help them in, in their time of need in order to prepare properly. So I, I'm really, really happy about that. I'm happy with the, the, with the way government performed in respect of that, and the way my colleagues really got into it and made sure that they went out and, and, and um, provided support and provided supplies. And we were ready that if there was you know, a significant impact, in the immediate aftermath, we were ready to be able to provide assistance, ongoing assistance to people. So very, very happy about that. Um, and I think given the performance of our National Weather Service, our hazard management um, organization, you know, the regiment, the RCIPS, the, the fire service, all the civil servants and the, and the wider public servants who were working around the clock in the National Emergency Operations Center, um, the National Roads Authority, you know, we've got to give thanks to, to all these people who try to make sure that we're prepared and then try to make sure we're organized in order to get information out and to, to assist people um, in the event that there's a significant impact. Very grateful to, to all of them. Um, and it was, it, it's not often that you have a threat that is real that gives you the impetus to respond to it um, and then the consequences don't turn out to be that bad and you have the luxury then of going back and saying okay how can we make this process better let's identify where the gaps have been and let's identify where the communication gaps have been let's Mm -hmm. identify how we can make things better and that's the process that we're going to be going through as a government Um, and i've certainly you know in terms of their interaction between my elected colleagues and myself as, and, 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 the, and the civil service and other agencies, you know, I've, I've identified certain, certain areas, there are certain gaps that can be improved, um, mainly around communication. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as is the case with so many things, you, as long as you learn from experiences, you evolve the process and you make things better. Uh, and I'm just grateful that, you know, we had to respond uh, as if it was going to be very significant. We ended up in a position where there wasn't a, a major impact, but we have the luxury, as I said, of working out how we can make the process better and how we can improve and our state of readiness for the next occasion. Because mm-hmm. don't people, I, I don't want people to get complacent. We could be faced with another one or another one, it could be two or three of these events um, in the next couple of months. If not, if not this year, it could be next year or the year after. We have to maintain a state of vigilance. I also want to say for those people that that um, you know that acquired either 
plywood, for example, for their, to cover their windows or went out and bought it themselves, um, I want to suggest that they, they keep that, store that someplace safe um, because you may need it again. Um, and in some cases, it may be on short notice. Mm. So please maintain a state of vigilance, maintain a state of readiness. It doesn't, this is a part of life for Cayman. It doesn't mean that you don't go about your ordinary lives, mm -hmm. but just don't become complacent. Maintain your state of readiness. All right. Um, just a couple questions that we do have coming in. And and I know that um, obviously post Ian, we were, were, as you rightfully said, very, very fortunate. But there and are there any considerations being made to how to improve the process? For example, after the storm, we saw a lot of people, it wasn't being called a curfew, but we did have, um, you know, uh, requests for people to come off the street by a particular time. We had business for, businesses, for example, who were open at that time. So it would have been impossible for their employees. And I don't mean essential services like yeah. restaurants and so on. It would have been essential for their employees to um, still be, you know, driving on the roadway after the government had already said everybody should be off the street by eight o'clock. Um, we also, these are just a few th observations that I made, had uh, employers who were telling people to come in before the all clear had been given. And this is always a bone of contention with employees who are saying, how can I be driving out there through God knows what, when the all clear has not been given? I'm not emergency personnel. Is there anything that the government is thinking to make this process clearer? Like, you know, during Ivan, or during Ivan, during um, the pandemic, it was very, very clear if if there was a, you know, curfew in place, you don't go out during these hours, or if you were in a certain category, you needed permission. Yeah. Any way to tighten up the process for storms? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we can we can learn from some of the the issues and and figure out how to how to set rules in place that will will help to um bring bring about a better result. I don't think that the the view is that you need to put in place, you know, very draconian rules mm -hmm. unless the circumstances clearly warrant it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you know, the Ivan situation that we had, for example, where there was it was widespread. I think the whole island was out of power um, mm -hmm. and everything was dark at night and these types of things. Um, you, you then, you then have to respond to the circumstances and you will remember that a curfew was put in place, which prevented people from moving about in the dark without mm -hmm. special authorization. And, you know, so you, so as a government um, you respond and, and as you know, in terms of the, the various agencies that have responsibility around protecting and helping and, and whatnot, um, you respond to the particular circumstances and, and, mm -hmm. and those that you can envisage and, and, um, and, you know, think through how you would, you would put in what kind of controls you need to put in place in order to ensure um, the safety of people in order to prevent, for example, the things that you were talking about with Kevin earlier with some of the, the looting and that type of thing that has been going on. Every every time we have an emergency situation, which significantly disrupts life, we know that we have elements within our society. It doesn't matter where you are. There are elements within society that want to try to take advantage of that and, mm -hmm. and, and act unfairly um, to in respect of the property of other people, etc. So you have to put in place certain rules in order to address those. Um, but it's a question of degree. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, in relation to the the 
scenario that we had around um, Ian, Hurricane Ian, or, or Tropical Storm, and then Hurricane Ian, um, there wasn't any need to put in place strict, strict controls. Um, but I do nevertheless want to recommend to people follow the the the, the advisories from the the head of the um, hazard management um, organization from the national operations sorry national emergency operations center um, these usually come out from the 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 operational chairman who is the the deputy governor um, follow those advisories because they are designed um, to pro protect and promote your safety and the ability for um, emergency operations to be able to respond in a timely manner without having to worry about um, onlookers or bystanders or traffic getting in the way. Um, so it contributes to the best interest of everyone um, mm -hmm. that follow these advisories. Um, but if, if, the, if the need was essential, um, then, you know, it would, those types of things would be reflected in curfews, for example, which can be daytime as well, um, which would, which would ensure that, um, you know, that we mandate the controls same, similarly, um, to what occurred with COVID. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, and we had those in place for, for Ivan as well. Okay. Uh, question has come in about pensions. Uh, someone is asking, will there be any further um, extensions on the pension holiday? I know you've given a few already and it expires. There, this yeah, month. there have been a number. And the last one we did was until the end of um, the end of September. Right. Um, you know, my, my view on this, Sandra, is that we, I know things are not perfect for everybody at this point, but we have, um, an accelerating economy. The the last quarter was 3.8% GDP growth. And it it and we have people that are, you know, on the the last um labor force survey results demonstrate that our unemployment is down to around five percent. Um that reflects very positively in terms of our ability to people's ability to participate in the economy and to um, you know, to to return to um, a situation where they can they can help to support themselves, but specifically, it should result in businesses being in a stronger position to um, to to maintain what is typical for us in terms of um, operating costs, like providing health insurance, like providing um, pension payments. Um, on behalf of, of em employees. Um, so we are not going to extend it any further at this point. Um, I think the, the, the approach that had been taken, as I said in the past a number of times, I'm not going to second guess, I'm not going to criticize, um, but the effect of, of what was done previously during the COVID era of, um, or COVID lockdown and lockdown era of, allowing significant deductions from pension accounts mm -hmm. has significantly impaired those accounts. We already have a system that does not adequately provide for our people on retirement. We know that. Mm -hmm. Actuarially, we can prove that. We've had the Mercer organization providing uh, an actual actuarial report 
which says to us that we should be somewhere in the region of about 18% um, of people's income being saved um, and invested in order to provide for a reasonable um, retirement. And pensions at the end of the day is supposed to be sort of a reasonable replacement of, of income for you um, during your retirement age. We're not any, anywhere near that right now. You know, we're at 10% um, overall, 5% from the employer, 5% from the employee. And mm-hmm. it is not adequate. Ask anybody who is who is who has retired um, and is getting $1,000 a month, whether they think that, you know, that's going to significantly help them maintain a standard of living. Um, at, at this point, we we need to be thinking about how to address pension reform, among so many other things that, that we need to involve, evolve more in our country. Um, we need to address pension reform. That's something that I have had a discussion with the minister, um, the minister for, for um, well, Deputy Premier, who has responsibility for that. Um, I've had that conversation with him. I've had the conversation with with caucus, that is something that I think we need to be looking at um, getting significantly accomplished during 2023. All right, very good. So folks, um, the premier had limited time with us this morning. Just trying to see if I can grab uh, one more question from our viewers. Um, Let's see what else we got here really quickly. Okay, so one person says, based on the reporting recently that Hurricane Ian affected properties on the West Bay uh, Beach, West Bay Road Beach, it should be uh, evident that the laws need to be changed in respect of buildings for their back setbacks from the beach. Does the Premier have any comments or plans? Well, I mean, I, I can tell you that I have personally gone down um, during probably you know, just after, just after they all clear, I personally gone down and had a look at what was happening on the beach. Um, as most people will, will know, the wave action got a bit heavier during that point in time. Um, mm-hmm. And it really reflected to me um, and, and reinforced the concerns I've had for a long time that the way we have been developing on our coastlines like the like um, Seven Mile Beach, is is problematic. Um, mm. We have tremendous erosion that has occurred there now. We have property damage that is that is really significant. I mean, we have developments there that are the 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 um, condos that were sitting on the on the on the edge of the beach, um, overlooking Seven Mile Beach, that were regarded as premium properties. They're now being undermined. Their foundations, in some cases, are now being undermined because of the erosion. So I have I have letters and, and emails from some of the owners there saying, you know, what can you do to help? Um, mm. You know, I, I've had a, a proposal that we've been working on to to do some beach nourishment, particularly on the southern part of the beach, where it has been more problematic, and that is is still moving forward. Mm. Um, we're probably, I would say that's that's not going to happen until probably around the third quarter of next year. But these issues are real. Climate change is real. Impacts of 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 increasing storm activity, increasing um, sea levels. These are all real issues that 
we have to confront as a as a country as a small island developing state um we're the ones that are on the front line we're going to be impacted more by a lot of these issues um we're going to be impacted first and it's incumbent on us to recognize that we have to we have to um, put in place mechanisms put in place uh, regulations and laws that build resiliency to climate change otherwise we're failing the future we're failing our children and mm -hmm. i don't i personally for me that's not a legacy that i want to leave behind all right very good folks um so that's all the time unfortunately that the premier has this morning he's got a meeting that he must get to on time so aliano says it's going to be extremely hard to maintain after retirement if the cost of living is constantly increasing and the stagnated wages for some sectors of employment. And of course, a pension plan isn't meant to be your only retirement solution. It is meant to be one of probably at least four or five different solutions that you put in place um, if you intend to retire. Uh, somebody actually said none of us will be able to retire. Jonathan says 90% of the world will be working until they die. And that's a worldwide situation. Uh, Aliano says it might be too late for Zedma Beach section. Um, fair game for the big boys on top. Uh, Valerie says at least if your pension money is in a bank account, you don't wind up with less than you started with. And her point is whether or not anything can be done um, to ensure that the pension companies do a better job with investing. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there are issues around that. and and there, But there also is a, a the need to recognize that you can't look at the investment performance over a one year or two year or five year period. Um, you need to look longer term um, because you, you, and on a longer term basis, you, you are likely to be much better off um, and you're going to have um, more money in your account. Now that, what that is subject to is um, the question of whether excessive fees are being taken out. And those are the types of issues that we have to be concerned about to make sure that people um, are compensated and those investment managers that are involved and administrators that are involved, they are fairly compensated. They're mm -hmm. also compensated based on their performance. So if you're doing, if you're acting negligently and not performing well, um, you know, in accordance with certain benchmarks, then you shouldn't be able to, to take, you know, significant fees or, or perhaps even any fees. So th there's a whole range of issues around this, around pension reform that needs to be addressed, including aspects of that. Um, but that's something that I believe that, you know, we're going to be taking on in the early part of the year and, and moving through, hopefully being able to, to bring about pension, pension reform by the end of next year. Mm -hmm. All right, folks. So it sounds like the government does have um, a number of things that they're working on. Premier Panton, we appreciate you coming. Um, this is Premier Access, which means every other Thursday morning now, uh, the Premier will be here with us. He was doing Wednesday evenings. We switched up a little bit so that more people will get an opportunity to tune in. Uh, Cortez says, just want to shout out the Premier. Keep up the good work. Bless up. Stay focused, bossy. Uh, God is good all the time. Uh, Dionysia says maybe government can have some seminars and how we as Caymanians can invest in stocks from Cayman uh, for income and retirement. Jonathan, um, people need to get paid so much to be able to put money into extra pension. Gabby says people have to take their time to look and understand their investment options 
even read up on the different uh, stock options. So it sounds like there has to be some education of the general public, as is often the case with um, a lot of these things. Izzy is in support. She says too many buildings are being teared down or mangroves and um, she says mangoes. <laughs> Do you mean mangroves you don't want, or mangoes? You don't want to tear down mangoes. You don't want mangoes. that either, but <laughs> and beautiful island. And when these hurricanes come, we have no protection. Yeah. But uh, folks, thank you guys again so much um, for tuning into the program here at the Koha Truth Premier Access today. And we'll see the premiere in about two weeks' time. All right. Thank you, folks. Really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today. And um, have a wonderful, safe day and the rest of the week. All right. Thanks again. We appreciate it, Premier Panton. Take care. Folks, let's just take a quick little commercial break, and then I got some breaking news for you. So do not touch that dial. Crichton Properties is one of Cayman's most trusted real estate companies for over 50 years. We offer a diverse selection of property listings and help our clients navigate the world of buying or selling their properties with confidence. Crichton is a name you can trust with our excellent customer service and family-friendly touch. Contact us today to list your home, land, or condo for sale by calling 949-5250 or email info at crichtonproperties.com. Crichton Properties, a trusted Cereba member. Recover personal injury attorneys, helping injured people get what they deserve. Did you know that insurance companies have lawyers that represent their interests? Before signing and accepting any settlement, know your rights. Call us today for a free consultation at 924-9999. That's 924-9999. Recover. Your personal injury attorneys are on standby to assist. Are you tired of overpaying for TV services? Can't figure out VPNs? Constantly missing your favorite TV shows? And no access to the good stuff on streaming services? The frustration is real, but it doesn't have to be. Contact Roke, Cayman Streaming Pros. We'll put you back in the driver's seat in front of your TV. Call, WhatsApp, or message Roke today on 926-1213. Roke is not a TV service provider. Terms and conditions apply. In the mornings, no one wants to miss listening to the cold hard truth or reading CMR. Cayman's number one news platform has made your morning commute fun again. Pass this time with the cold hard truth on weekdays from 7.30 a.m. Talk radio that's engaging, entertaining, and enlightening. But be careful. Some mornings it's so hot you might run into a bit of trouble. All right, folks, welcome back. How are you guys doing? So we just have a few moments left in the program, but guess what? But right up until the end, we'll be giving you breaking news, honey, chill. Um, there was a shooting last night in West Bay. Yes, a young man, our sources have said, was shot at um, about 20 shots fired. Wow. At this young man, we do have a name, but we won't be mentioning his name. Let's just say he's very lucky that somebody was a bad shot. So about 20 shots uh, fired at him, but only hit him in the foot. I'm assuming only one must have hit him in the foot. And that is the very definition of, um, of a bad shot. Wow. Ay, ay, ay. Listen, I don't even know what to say. 
except, um, you know, they, you know, they better, they better listen. We, we better address this issue. 20 shots fired down Birch Tree Hill. That's what's on the streets this morning, folks. Um, unbelievable. We posted it up on social media. I guess that's all we got for now until the police probably decide to make a statement and then we'll let you guys know. Normally we get the information before them. So what can I tell you? Uh, wild, wild west says Captain Mark. That sounds about right. Um, Captain Mark says he must be Neo from the matrix. Yeah. Maybe he was doing some real skip hopping and jumping around in order to uh, avoid that. Uh, Mr. Dean says that would be good if government would guarantee pension doesn't decrease to less than what you put in. Well, I don't think the government can do that. They can't guarantee that. But the point that the premier made is when you look at the life cycle of a pension plan, which is meant to be your working life of 35 or 40 years, you actually find that they don't lose, they gain. And so pensions are short-term or long-term, my apologies. They're not meant to be short-term. So short-term things, the cycle is up and down and all over the place. But um, if you look at all pension markets across the world, that's why it's set up the way that it is. Because in the 40 years of your working career or more, depending how long you work for, you're actually going to gain. It's not one, two, three, or even five years. The market does fluctuate in the short term for sure. Um, Andrea says, are we starring in some movie to be premiered soon? My goodness. Mm -mm -mm. I am left speechless sometimes on this program. And all I can say is that that young man is very, very fortunate that somebody was such a bad shot because wow, we no, sir. All right. We'll see if the police uh, have anything to say about that <laughs> throughout the day. And by the way, um, over the weekend on Saturday, I know we didn't really get to talk about this. There was a shooting on West Bay Road down by the Westin as well. So several vehicles was were involved in some sort of a shootout incident. One young man was hospitalized with um, requiring surgery, life-threatening surgery. His brother, who was in the vehicle with him, actually ended up driving him to the hospital. They shot out the, the windshield. We haven't heard much about his injuries or exactly where he was shot and that sort of thing. But yes, there was um, a shooting incident literally right in front of the West End. The road was closed off uh, Saturday morning as a result of that. So um, I understand the police followed him to the hospital because they wanted him to stop and engage in an interview. And he was like, my brother was just shot. I'm not going to stop and talk to you right now, <laughs> which is somewhat understandable. I mean, come on, folks. Um, in terms of the police, man, I got so many phone calls yesterday from irate uh, drivers saying that the intersection, remember we were talking about this yesterday morning, the intersection at Bobby Thompson Way and Smith Road, there was no police there. Now, I was shocked to hear that because I know during the show, someone messaged in and said there were police officers there and that people weren't paying them any mind. And to hear that the police officers, someone said they drove through around 915 and the police officers were gone, I thought to myself, how can that be? This is a situation, folks, where um, that's an accident. That's a very high accident-prone location. 
why would the police leave that location when the traffic light is not working? Because people don't seem to understand it's supposed to be a four-way stop if a traffic light isn't working and they were just not getting it right. So we did reach out after receiving numerous complaints yesterday afternoon. We did reach out to the RCAPS. We spoke, uh, emailed the commissioner directly, and he said that he was going to have the inspector in charge of traffic action the situation. I hope by action the situation, he means that um, someone's going to be staying there 24-7. You've got to have around-the-clock coverage at that location. So the traffic light signal was knocked out um, during the storm because apparently a CUC line made contact with the signal pole. And I understand that there are a lot of components now that have um, been impacted on the inside of the box. So obviously the National Roads Authority is aware of the situation and they are now, um, you know, going to work with the police in terms of direct traffic uh, controls until the repairs can be completed. Now, the repairs, for those to be completed, actually require um, some parts to come in from Orlando, Florida. And y'all know what's happening in Orlando, Florida right now. (laughs) The storm is headed their way. So unfortunately, this is not going to be a quick fix. This could very well be out for a minute. Um, and I'm going to show you guys some pictures because the whole looks like the whole interior of this uh, signal box has now been fried as a result of, you know, whatever it is that happened here. So um, they're aware of the issue. They have to order these parts. Hopefully the parts will be here. Maybe it'll take a week. I don't know how long it's going to take. If Orlando has the parts, I'm hoping there's not another delay there because then we find out that Orlando doesn't even have the parts. But um, I'll show you guys here all the parts that have to come in to make this possible. And the storm is still passing through central Florida. So here's one of the, um, see, you can actually see the burn marks on it, right? Like it's literally fried, these different components. So look at that. Mm-hmm. You see the little burn marks in the back uh, metal section of the box there? Of Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, this is this is what they're dealing with. So the light will be out. Uh, I can only caution people. Um, if I were you, I'd actually avoid the intersection completely. <laughs> because believe me, you, people don't even pay attention when the light is there. There's always an accident at that intersection. But the police, I dare say, should be there around the clock 24-7 because that is a very, very, you know, high um, accident-prone area, even when lights are working, much less. So for a little bit yesterday morning, they had Officer Fabian. He's a dancing police officer there, but looks like he danced his way right out of there and was probably deployed somewhere else. But we're kindly asking RCAPS to continue to have someone um, there as well. Um, Yes. All right, folks. So, yeah, we'll keep an eye on that situation. But people were very irate yesterday. They're like, Sandy, I was tempted to get out of my car and direct traffic myself. Why is it that the police are not there? Do they want somebody to get killed? I was like, oh, Lord. I couldn't believe they weren't there. I was like, let me just send an email because this is kind of ridiculous, actually. So, yeah. Um. Damien says, can we get Chris Saunders on the show very soon, please? Uh, Damien, I will send Mr. Saunders this message right now. 
uh, open invitation for these MPs. Uh, Sandy, are the movie John Wick for mm -hmm. Cayman? <laughs> oh, um, see why Denny wants to have some sort of his own protection by his side. Um, I'm not sure sure that that's going to help because I'm pretty, the, the young man who got shot is not law abiding. So we don't want non-law abiding citizens to have protection because they already have the guns. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure, Jonathan, that makes any sense. Speaking of that, um, did you see that, um, you know, the incident in Jamaica where the father shot and killed his own 15-year-old son, thinking that he was an intruder into the home? And this is what happens, unfortunately, with weapons. Now, I'm expecting a phone call from Denny any second now. But this man, uh, the wife is like, oh, honey, I hear, um, you know, there, there's been... I hear noise, there's an intruder in the house, and he picks up his firearm and um, shoots his son, Raheem Shaw, a fifth form student at Walmer's Boys School in Kingston, shoots his own son dead at 3.18 in the morning, at 3.13 in the morning. Um, he jumped up, fired shots at a shadow, and he later found out that it was actually his teen son. My God, what a heavy burden to have to carry as a parent. Um, you know, obviously 15 years old, he must have been sneaking in and out of the house and his parents didn't know. Uh, they say that he had a good relationship with his father and was not known for any kind of behavioral issues. Um, so what can you do? Incredibly sad. Uh, we will um, send them our thoughts and... Uh, I don't even know what else to say. Wow. So, uh, you know, these types of unfortunate incidents happen all the time where the wrong person ends up getting shot. You think um, it's the criminal and it ends up being, there was one the other day in somewhere in the States uh, where a child, and I want to say a very young child, like maybe even a toddler, got a hold of a non-secured weapon and ended up shooting its mother. Can't remember she died though, but I'm just like, wow. Miss Barbara, good morning. Um, Brenda says, why isn't CUC mandated to have these parts on hand? They're allowed to have us pay for all the expenses. It can't cost them very much. Well, the persons who put up the traffic lights and repair them isn't CUC. It's the National Roads Authority, to be clear. So the NRA doesn't have them on hand. I don't know why, but I'm just telling you they don't. Um, so it's not the, um, let me just grab this, Damien. It is not the utilities company that manages the poles. They supply electricity to the poles. Anita says, really sad, without power. They need light. Make it get fixed soon by God. Without power, they need light. Who? I'm a little bit confused there, Anita. So this isn't a power issue. This is an issue with parts that need to be replaced on the signal box that have been fried. Yes? 
All right. Your message has been delivered to Mr. Saunders. Miss Morna says they went Savannah area checking for license and insurance, not the streetlight. Shaking my head. Oh, the police? <laughs> I guess they got to meet their monthly quota, honey child. Uh, we need more, some law-abiding citizens to have guns too. Uh, there are law-abiding citizens with guns because there's an application process where you can apply and get one. Good morning, caller. Welcome to the program. Hi, how are you? Not bad. How are you doing? Not too bad. I'm just, I'm not a like a traffic light tech or anything like that, uh -huh. but I'm wondering why they couldn't just pull the parts out from the traffic light that's downtown mm -hmm. and move it to that spot. Hmm. We can so certainly ask. Um, which, yeah. which traffic light do you think we don't need, though? Probably the one like right downtown. I mean, I do realize on the, on the it's kind of busy in the morning. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll find out. Just wondering. Mean, yeah, I don't know if it's the same components that are needed, but I will certainly ask the question of the NRA. That's what I said. I'm not I'm not a traffic light technician, but yeah. I don't know. Just yeah. that common sense. <laughs> Thank you very okay, much. Have a good day. It. You too. All righty, bye-bye. And that does make sense, and I know that they have done that on occasion. Because a few weeks ago, maybe five, six weeks ago, the one coming into Hurley's wasn't working for like two weeks. And come to find out it's because they had pulled apart off of that one for another signal. But then I thought that that one was kind of important. So I guess, you know, they'll always have to choose. Uh, Damien says the one by the North Terminal. So we will ask the question. Absolutely no harm in asking if that can be done. Um, of course, that one at uh, Smith Road and in... What's it called? Bobby Thompson. That one seems to be a little bit more of a complex one. So um, I'm not sure, but we'll ask. Breaking news. Someone said, what was the breaking news? I missed it. The breaking news is there was a shooting in West Bay last night. Young man got shot in the foot after someone attempted to shoot him. Sources say 20 times. Pretty crazy. What a mess. All right, folks. Uh, tomorrow is Friday. Can you believe it already? What a quick week. We were here all week. Did you miss our Monday show? It was actually a really good show. Um, tomorrow's Friday. We'll do some politicking on Friday. We'll do some consumer stuff because sometimes we do that on Thursdays. But if we don't have time on Thursdays, we'll do it Friday. Uh, there's some situation with people coming from Columbia being taken advantage of. So we will talk about that if we can get some additional details. So please stay tuned. Uh, you guys have a fantastic day. And we will catch you tomorrow morning, bright and early, 730, right here in Bobo 89.1, YouTube and Facebook for the CMR channels. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the cold hard truth on Bobo 89.1 FM. Cayman's number one talk show is live weekdays from 7:30 AM. Never miss an episode again. Watch anytime on CMR's Facebook and YouTube channels for the latest show episodes. Don't forget to follow us online on our social media channels and visit CaymanMarlRoad.com for all the latest news and community happenings. 